Happy Sunday, church. Uh, before we get into the sermon, can we just pray um, before, we, before we hear God's word? Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, with a posture of saying to you, Lord, I really need your words to feed me today. So we ask, Father, that you would give us a fresh perspective of who you are, and may we love you with more trust and commitment and passion uh, than ever before change our hearts to make that happen. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this year we're setting out to rediscover church, who we are called to be as the church gathered, discipling each other and revealing the gospel. And this, the church scattered, loving our neighbors and sending out our, our gospel workers. So in order to properly learn this, we need to study Jesus, his life and his teaching. And as we learned last week, it's the proclamation of him that creates and forms us as his people. And that's why we're doing this sermon series through Luke chapters four through nine. Uh, so far, we've looked at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and Jesus' rejection in his hometown, Nazareth. Now we're on part three of Luke, from Luke chapter four, verses 31 through 44, titled Jesus' Authority. You know, I've been watching a, a bit of this documentary series called The Beatles Get Back. Um, I don't know if all of you know who the Beatles are, but if you do, if you don't, they're argu arguably the most influential rock band ever. And uh, this series is almost eight hours of real footage of their the, their making of the album "Let It Be." Um, what's so fascinating fascinating about it for me is that I can watch. Uh, a day in the life of these music legends, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, going through the creative process of making music, sharing song lyrics, putting instruments together, and also all the stuff that went on in between, like hanging out and drinking tea and goofing around. And actually, I think that this would be interesting uh, for any band today, like BTS or something. Um, and, and nowadays, there are so many media options to make that possible. But, but the Beatles, they were born way before I was born. And so even though I'm a fan, I've never had access to this kind of video footage of a day in the life of what they did. Um, the Beatles Get Back documentary is so captivating to me for this very reason. Now, going back to Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44, you basically get a 24-hour sna snapshot into Jesus' life in those early days of his ministry. And we'll get to see how amazing Jesus was. It, we're going get, to get an inside look at how he exercised his great authority to compassionately serve people in need. And so let's find this passage in our Bibles at this time. If you remember from last week, Jesus had visited a synagogue in his hometown and declared that he was the fulfillment of God's promise to send a servant king who would proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captives and sight to the blind and forgiveness of debts to the oppressed. Now, next, we get a day in the life of what Jesus said, just said about himself. So this is God's word from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, 
the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority, the power and, and power, he commands the evil, the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when he was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Amen. So the one thing from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44 that I'm going to unpack for us today is this. Trust in Jesus the Christ, the one with ultimate authority. Now, the term Christ is actually the official title of the promised Savior or Deliverer that God promised in the scriptures, the one that Jesus claimed to be. And we'll study how Jesus exercised his authority as the Christ and why we can trust him even today as the Christ of our lives, too. There were two main locations that Jesus spent his day, which will be the two main parts of my sermon. First, at the, at the synagogue in verses 31 through 37, and then second, at Simon Peter's house in verses 38 through 44. And we will see why we should trust in Jesus the Christ, the one with ultimate authority, when he was at the synagogue and at Simon Peter's house. So let's first see verses 31 through 37 at the synagogue. And in this first part of the narrative, we'll see that Jesus' words carried authority when he preached about the kingdom of God, which was demonstrated when he cast, out a, cast a demon out of a person in the synagogue. So here's, here's the first overall truth from this part. The goal of the devil is to destroy people, but the goal of Jesus the Christ is to give life. Um, this was, like I said, a day in the life of Jesus when he was in, the city, in a city called Capernaum. And these verses describe what Jesus usually did when he was in towns like Capernaum. He visited synagogues on the Sabbath and he taught in them. And as usual, when Jesus taught in the synagogue, um, when Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum, verse 32 says that they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. You know, there was something markedly different when Jesus preached. There was a unique weightiness and clarity and authenticity and and this could be explained, if you remember, from the previous passage that God promised um, that the, the, the spirit-empowered preaching of Jesus, the servant king, would create a people for himself. He would proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captives and sight for the blind and forgiveness of debt for the oppressed. And Jesus' words proclaimed that he himself was the king of God's kingdom. When, when Jesus cast out the demon from the man in the synagogue here in this passage we read, people were amazed because they saw for themselves 
that it had authority. They, they saw for themselves the authority of his words that made it happen. So Jesus' words were not just eloquent, but more importantly, they caused things to change. The theme of the authority of the words of Jesus as the Christ run throughout this entire section of Luke chapters 4 through 9. Specifically, in this passage from verses 31 through 44, we see that Jesus' words will cast out demons and rebuke disease and heal people. And he ends by, uh, he ends by saying that he was sent to proclaim the kingdom of God to other towns in Israel as well. You see, this was a big part of his ministry, and this is important to keep noticing. The words of Jesus have authority to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. The miraculous signs that happened in Jesus' ministry pointed to this truth, and the proclamation that happened in Jesus' ministry is what creates a people for himself. So what does this mean for us, really briefly? I think this is why the centrality of the ministry of God's word is important for both the church gathered and the church scattered. When we gather together, the only power to change comes from the wor words of the one who was there in the beginning, Jesus the Christ. And so we preach the Bible at our Sunday celebrations, and we study the Bible in our life groups. It's not the only thing we do, but it is the central thing that we do. When we, when we scatter the other six plus days of a, of, of a week, we need to make our own Bible reading a regular habit. That's why we plugged Bible reading plans today. And, and we point non-believers to the Bible to get to know Jesus. When we share the gospel, we don't share just our own ideas, but, when the script, but we, we share what the scriptures say about God and humanity and sin and Jesus. When we study the Bible with non-believers, we help them to see for themselves the truths about Jesus from the scriptures. We've heard testimonies of people in our church doing this, and it is unequivocally our desire for this to be the norm for all of us in HMCC. Let's go back to the first overall truth here now. The goal of the devil is to destroy people, but the goal of Jesus the Christ is to give life. In verses 33 and 34, there was, there was a man worshiping in the synagogue that day who had an unclean demon within him. Now, there's nothing to indicate that this, that this man was being disruptive during, the, the, during most of the service. He, he was just a regular Jewish man singing, reading, and praying in the synagogue on that Sabbath day. But beneath the surface, without anybody able to see with their physical eyes, there was a darker evil spirit that oppressed and held this man captive. This unclean demon only acted up at a certain moment while Jesus was teaching there. And he said in verse 34 at that moment, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God or the Christ. And it seems like de the demon was was mocking Jesus' identity as being of Nazareth. Remember that Luke had recorded that Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth and actually almost killed there. And notice that even though the demon was technically correct about the identity of Jesus, this was not a declaration of faith, but actually more of a declaration of defiance against Jesus. Like he was saying, I know you're the Holy One of, of God. That is another term for the Christ. 
What are you going to do about it to me? What are you going to do it, do about it to me? Let me just say here that the truth is that people suffer from the often unseen and yet very real power of the devil over them. There is an unseen spiritual realm that the, that the Bible presents with angels, like in Jesus' birth accounts, and demons, like here. And even though there might not be manifestations all over the place, the influence of the devil and his demons lie beneath the surface. And Paul described the spiritual realm in a lot of places, but I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we, will, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in light of this, I'd like to challenge us in a few ways. I hope that we can also see the world differently. Now, we don't need to over-spiritualize everything, like seeing demons around every corner and blaming the devil for all of our problems. But we must be aware that there is an unseen conflict with the spiritual authorities, powers, and forces of evil that do exist in our world. And this should cause us to engage with others differently, too, because it adds a different dimension. You know, when we're fighting in our church, and that happens, our enemy is not ultimately each other. When we're fighting in our homes, with our, maybe with our spouse, or maybe with our parents, or maybe with our children, our enemies are not each other. It's, it's, it's the devil himself. When we're fighting in our workplaces, our enemy is not ultimately our boss or peers or employees. We must know that there is a third party here in our world, the devil and his demons, who want to destroy relationships and want to destroy people. Now, let's look at verse 35 here. Jesus rebuked the demon and told him to be quiet. And then Jesus commanded the demon to come out of the man. Now, notice what it says here. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, this man was thrown down by the demon. The demon came out of him, having done him no harm. And so the demon wanted to do whatever he could to harm this man. Spiritually, this man's heart was still enslaved to sin and, and still captive under the, devil's, uh, under the devil's power. And until that very last moment that the demon possessed this man, it tried to physically harm him by throwing him down on the ground violently. But notice that Jesus' words delivered this man from this demon's control. The demon wanted to destroy and hurt this man, but Jesus prevented any harm from being done and preserved this man's life for the time being, at least in his physical life. So one last time here, the first overall truth we see here is the goal of the devil is to destroy people. But the goal of Jesus is to give life. How does the devil destroy people? And I would say it's in whatever ways that, it, that keeps people from seeing, listening, and running to Jesus when Jesus wants us to draw near to him. The Bible says that the devil is the father of lies and disguises himself as an angel of light, which means that there are a lot of things that seem harmless or even good, but can become things that keep us from seeing and listening and running to Jesus. There are so many things that the devil, so many ways that the devil does this. 
but I'll mention one, one for us in this day and age, and that's the misuse of technology. Just think about it for yourself. How many of us spend way too much time on our handphones and on social media, and video games, and on the internet in general? Now, I'm going to say that now I'm, now I'm not saying that technology like this is all bad and that all of this stuff is from the devil or something. Okay, there are certainly positive uses of these things. But the misuse or idolatry of handphones, social media, video games, and the internet can be destructive for our spiritual well-being. For one thing, it takes away valuable time that, could, that we can spend with Jesus personally, which we cannot underestimate. All right, we cannot underestimate this, brothers and sisters in Christ, how a lot of times our time is sucked into our handphones and social media and, and video games and the internet when we could use even a portion of that time to really be spending intimate time with the Lord. For another thing, I think that these, these, this misuse of technology cultivates a lot of the fleshly nature rather than the fruit of the spirit in our lives, like escaping life instead of engaging with life, covetousness instead of contentment, a, meaningful, a meaningless fame instead of meaningful faithfulness, lustfulness instead of loving relationships. This greatly affects uh, our mental health because we lose sleep. We compare ourselves with others. We struggle with depression and anxiety. And oftentimes, the misuse of handphones and social media and video games and the internet like this leads to isolation. That's, there's, we lack in those quality, real interactions with people to sharpen one another and to encourage one another. You know, if the devil's goal is to destroy people, the misuse or idolatry of technology is definitely effective. And it should get us really, really mad, shouldn't it? But more than getting us just mad, it should cause us to turn to Jesus the Christ because his goal is to give life. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief only comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus came as the king of God's kingdom to give life, not to destroy life. He used his authority as the Christ to give life, life that is full and repurposed and meaningful. And how does Jesus do this? We'll see this more We'll see this more about why we can trust Jesus the Christ, the one with, true, with ultimate authority, more in the second part now. So first, Jesus was at the synagogue. Now, the, now for his second location of the day, let's see verses 38 through 44 at Simon Peter's house. So in the second part of the narrative, we see that Jesus helped many people who were afflicted by disease and demons at Simon Peter's house. He stayed there the rest of the day, but actually left early the next morning to carry out the purpose for which God had sent him. So here's the second overall truth from this part. Jesus exercises his authority as the Christ by compassionately serving people in need. <clears throat> After synagogue services, it was customary for guest speakers to be invited to someone's home for a meal and for further personal teaching. 
And so Jesus went to Simon's house. Simon's also known as Peter, the disciple, or Simon Peter, as I'll refer to him uh, in this message. While Jesus was there, the family asked him to attend to Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with a very high fever. And one thing that I want you to notice is that Peter's mother-in-law did not directly appeal to Jesus, but it was those around her who asked Jesus to help her on her behalf. Jesus served Simon Peter through his preaching and teaching, and he, along with others, Simon Peter, and along with others, served his mother-in-law now by bringing her up to Jesus. And just to clarify a bit, sickness is a part of the fallen, of our fallen world. Sometimes disease and sickness have a direct spiritual cause, like from an evil spirit, but Sometimes there is no direct causation, like in this case where there's really none mentioned, okay? But disease and death is definitely a part of the fallen world. And this, and this was what Jesus addressed here in verse 39. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Just like the demon in the synagogue, Jesus rebuked the fever, almost like the fever is personified here. And the fever left her. He, Jesus, exercised authority over disease and compassionately served her. And after she was served by Jesus and restored to health, she began to serve others. I think this is a great example of Christ-centered serving of people here, isn't it? This text shows us two aspects of our, what we call our people ministry, our ministry to the people that God has given us around us. First, we appeal to Jesus on behalf of the people in our lives, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, family members, friends, work colleagues, and neighbors. A primary way that we love them as our neighbors is we pray for them and we bring them to Jesus. We appeal uh, to Jesus on their behalf. Second, we serve, we serve them. We serve them by showing hospitality, listening, to, listening so that we can learn more about them and we can show our love for them. By, we also love them by bearing witness about Jesus to them. And the important part of this is what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 13, verse 14. He said this, just, he said, he told them, just as he, their Lord and teachers served them, so they were to serve one another. That's part of our responsibility. Now, let's go back to the second overall truth here. Jesus exercised his, his authority as the Christ by compassionately serving people in need. <clears throat> as, as Jesus exercised his authority by compassionately serving people, he really took it to another level that day, okay? This personal, quiet Sabbath day with Peter's family transformed into this huge event. In verse 40, it says that there were all kinds of people who were suffering from diseases and demons who came over to Simon Peter's house to be seen by Jesus. And Jesus spent the rest of the daytime hours and probably some of the nighttime hours laying hands. And it says, on every single one of them and healing them. He also confronted and cast out many demons, rebuking them like he did to that demon in the synagogue and not allowing them to speak. Once again, the demons that came out of many people that day cried out, 
you are the son of God. But because um, that was because they knew that Jesus was the Christ. Now, why did Jesus not allow the demons to speak of his identity as the Christ here? You know, there's a lot of study that has gone into this specific question, but I'll mention two reasons. First, Jesus did not want people to mistakenly think that he and the demons were on the same side. Now, we'll see later in, in Luke chapter 11 that people still did mistakenly think that he and demons were on the other side, on, on the same side. He was accused of this in Luke chapter 11. And second, even though Jesus was claiming that he was the Christ, he was doing so somewhat discreetly so that in his perfect timing, his identity would be fully known at his resurrection. And that's when it would all be clarified for people. So the truth is that Jesus is the Christ. And even the demons knew this. He is the promised savior or deliverer that God promised in the scriptures. He is the king of God's kingdom that he was proclaiming had arrived. But what we see about Jesus as the Christ is that he used his authority to compassionately serve others who were suffering from demon possession and diseases and sickness. In this instance, at, in this instance at Simon Peter's house, he did this all day for the countless numbers of people. And he, and he personally interacted with them. He personally touched every single person that came across his way. This is so awesome to see. This is so awesome to see because we see here that authority used properly is used to serve others who need help. That's what authority is for, right? This is a healthy way to look at the authority that we have at home, at church, at work, or in other areas of society. The reason why people have authority is not to flex for themselves or to gain for themselves, but it is to serve other people who need help. Jesus exemplified this. Now, we said before that the goal of Jesus is to give life. And I want to expand on this a bit by looking at Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. The scriptures say that we were, we were dead in our sins. We were spiritually sick and under the control of the devil and his demons. But Jesus, by his grace, served us. And the way that he served us ultimately was by suffering and dying on the cross where he paid for our sins. And in doing this, he paid for our debt of sin to God. He disarmed the devil and he disarmed all the accusations and, and the legitimate case that he had against us. Jesus, the Christ, served us by triumphing on the cross and rising three days later, defeating sin and defeating death definitively for good. So what does this mean for us? Friends, if you did not identify yourself as a Christian before, did not believe that Jesus Christ served us this way, I invite you to receive this gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you. If you do trust in him today, 
Your debt of sin is forgiven by Jesus the Christ, and you are now set free to know and follow and serve Jesus. Brothers and sisters now in Christ, let's meditate on this as well, on how Jesus has served us in such a way that we are now alive spiritually to know the light of truth and to live in that light. Jesus is the Christ, the King of your life. Now a primary part of our identities is as his servant. You know, I was meditating on this for my Bible reading on Thursday and, and, and realized how much this is actually not talked about enough in church. It's from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Amen. That means if we are saved by Jesus the Christ, we are now servants of Jesus the Christ. Our lives revolve around pleasing him and doing his will, doesn't it? And part of that is serving others. Like I said, we have a people ministry. And here's a very practical way to integrate this into us as the church gathered and the church scattered. When we're the church gathered, you, you can prepare by saying, Lord, how do you want me to serve others as I have been served by you during this Sunday celebration or during this life group? When you're the church scattered, you can prepare by praying, Lord, how do you want me to serve others as I have been served by you at home or at work or in my neighborhood? I think these are excellent ways for us to live out what our identities as the church gathered and scattered, as, as servants of, of Jesus Christ. We've been served by Jesus. Now we serve him by serving others. So one last time here, the second overall truth we see here is Jesus exercises his authority as the Christ by compassionately serving people in need. Verse 42 says, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. So Jesus was doing this at the time the sun was setting and also a long time after it was dark. Now, Jesus' compassion is remarkable here, isn't it? He wanted to serve as many people as he could. Remember, Jesus is fully human still, so he was undoubtedly exhausted by the time he was done serving all these people. And what I want us to notice, it was, it was, and because Jesus was fully human, not although he was fully human, he was not only tired, but because he was fully human, he also needed to go away to a desolate place. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was introverted and needed some me time or something. Usually in the gospel accounts, when Jesus went away to a desolate or solitary place, it meant that Jesus went to go and pray. It's a passing note, but it, it, it's an important detail. It's an important detail because in the midst of being busy and being tired, Jesus, the son, did not succumb to the temptation of neglecting communion with God, the father, which is so unlike us with stuff like when we use mis like when we misuse technology, right? In fact, I'd say that this time with the Father helped him stay focused and on track with his ultimate mission to go to the cross. You see, the people who were at Simon Peter's house or who had heard what had happened at Simon Peter's house, they tracked him down. A regular guy who wanted to grab 
who maybe wanted to grab social political power would have jumped on this wave of momentum to grow his influence and grow his followers, right? That would make sense. But Jesus told them in verse 43, I must preach the good news to, of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So why did Jesus leave and need to preach to other places? Why didn't Jesus just go to the cross? Why didn't he just become king right away? Or why didn't he just go to the cross right away? Why did he spend three years doing what he did in places like this in Capernaum? Jesus was sent by God the Father to fulfill his purposes and what he meant. His, he discipled 12 who would lead his church when he departed. He was to start with the people of God. These are all the ways that he served. Jesus exercised his authority as the Christ with a personal, compassionate, real touch. I think this was, I think that this was the purpose of his incarnation. This is intrinsic in the nature of the, of the God who saves us and who serves us. He cares about us. He has a plan and purpose that unfolds. And as we follow Jesus in our lives and as we serve him, we also wait for his perfect timing in our lives. We saw Jesus as at the synagogue first and, and that the goal of the devil is to destroy people, but the goal of Jesus the Christ is to give life. Then we saw Jesus at Simon Peter's house second and how Jesus exercises his authority as the Christ by compassionately serving people in need. Now let's move on to the life application. Here are the next steps we can take to trust in Jesus the Christ, the, the one with ultimate authority. First, put your trust in Jesus the Christ who saved you by serving you on the cross. Whether you decided to do this for the first time today or you are already a Christian, may we all meditate on the magnitude of what Jesus did for us. He exercised his authority not to be served by others, which, how the, which is how the world operates, but to serve and to ultimately serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. How can we meditate on this truth and let it soak into us? Because it's tempting to doubt or wonder or forget uh, that Jesus cares about us in our day-to-day -day lives. I think from this portrayal of Jesus, he cares about our well-being, our physical needs as human beings, including our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health, our relational health, our, our spiritual health. And he cares, us, cares for us ultimately by going to the cross for us. So may we be filled again with how Jesus serves us. Second, serve Jesus the Christ by serving others as the church gathered and scattered. As I said before, a primary identity of those who are, who are his people, the church, it is that we are his servants. As we have been served by Jesus, we serve others. We have a people ministry, all of us do, as the church gathered speaking God's word into each other, praying for each other, encouraging and building up each other in this way. Jesus has, has all authority in heaven and on earth to help us disciple each other in this way. May we live that out in our church as HMCC. Amen? And we also have a people ministry as a church scattered, planting God's word and praying for non-Christian family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. We find ways to show hospitality and to care for them. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth to make 
us disciples who make disciples as well. I want to give, give you a few moments to meditate on, on this passage of God's word and to respond to the Holy Spirit in repentance, in prayer, and in commitment to the Lord Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray together.